Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference when we stay involved. Today, we are mourning the loss of more Americans due to gun violence. The shootings in Monterey Park and Half Moon Bay, California, are utterly heartbreaking and are especially devastating to the AAPI community that is already coping with the rise in violence. We talk about how you can best support these grieving communities. Then Steve has a conversation with his very own congressman, Tony Cardenas. They talk about how he can still move forward in the midst of a Congress controlled by MAGA Republicans that want to tear it all down. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. win. Ah, what another tough show. We've had so many of these where we had to start off the show talking about yet another mass shooting. Our last episode of the last season was with the great Shannon Watts. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I do recommend that people go back if you didn't have a chance to hear that interview and, and listen to what Shannon had to say. Because uh, there was a lot of hope in there, and it's important to uh, understand how far we've come when it comes to uh, common sense gun legislation, especially in uh, state houses and legislatures, and how it really has saved lives. But man, we have so much more to do. Um, enough, enough. Yeah, it is. It is hard to be in this place again when we. We're, we're constantly surprised and shocked when we shouldn't be, given how often it happens. And I think every time this happens, it's a renewed sense, at least for me, of there just has to be more we can do to change this. Maybe it's taking it one step farther than we've been had the courage to do in the past. Um, certainly, the incremental approach hasn't really worked to stop this terror. I, I think thinking about it like terrorism it was helpful for me um, listening to, I think it was Joy Reid last night talking about it's terrorism. Mm-hmm. It, you know, terrorism is a kind of thing that we think about happening in different places, but it's it's happening here every day because it's something that's completely out of our control and it's designed to keep people in a state of fear. So I, I'm just feeling... Um, I'm just feeling more resolved. I agree with you. I wanted to mm. go back and listen to Shannon's to Shannon's piece. I remember thinking it was really great when I listened to it before, and I just want to get it in my head again. Um, but I was gratified to see Fetterman, for example, a new senator, introducing something different, you know, and sort of calling out and saying the right to bear arms is not unlimited. Yeah. And we have to regulate assault weapons. There's a there's a well-regulated part of the Second Amendment that we really need to start leaning into a lot more. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm excited. Fetterman gives me a lot of hope. This is an issue that has been very personal, um, and it's, you know, what brought him into politics, uh, the issue of gun violence. And um, mm-hmm. he's been very, very effective and vocal about that and, uh, and introduced uh, some legislation today uh, you know, <laughs> you look at the dysfunction uh, and the destruction going on in Congress right now, and it's and it's really uh, really hard to imagine um, that that will have any success with 
new gun legislation right now. Um, and and that's very, very frustrating. But again, I, I call on people to go back and listen to Shannon Watts' interview when she talks about all the uh, good work that they've done in states and the progress that we still have to uh, to do. I, I think about Chris Murphy a lot and his, you know, just absolute persistence on this issue. Um, I think mm-hmm. about Fred Gutenberg, uh, who lost his daughter in Sandy Hook and has been tireless in his work in this issue. They give me a lot of hope and perspective when we see one of these shootings happen. By the way, this is... Um, you know, made national news. There's lots of mass shootings that haven't made national news since the beginning mm-hmm. of the year. In fact, uh, the Gun Violence Archive has said that as of now, we're recording this, there have been 40 mass shootings since the beginning of this year. We're here at the end of January. 40. Right. So that's more shootings than there are days in this month. Um, right. So, uh, you know, we've got it. We've got to do something. Absolutely, we have to do something more. And it it might be this idea of maybe we just need to repeal the Second Amendment. I mean, it really hasn't served us. It's it's an idea that's sort of akin to slavery or mm-hmm. not giving women the right to vote. You know, it's it's a dead idea. <laughs> so, um, you know, I just it, we can't keep watching this pain the particular pain of the AAPI community that has suffered so much in the last few years. It's been terrible. And then to to see that happen on Lunar New Year when people are celebrating and you know, probably know Monterey Park is mm-hmm. a really special, important place. It's a place where people would go, not just to to um, you know, be an immigrant and then move on somewhere else. That was the destination for people to create a beautiful, vibrant place. And it just it's just so sad it and, ver- and shocking. Yeah, shocking, really sad. It very much is a safe space uh, and a safe community for the AAPI community and um, and so many other people too. It's uh, it's a very diverse uh, and, and awesome area. And mm-hmm. um, you know, so so let's talk about what we can do in this because it's it's heartbreaking. But um, there are uh, some great resources um, and. As always, uh, when tragedy strikes a community, I look to that community to lead and uh, and follow and uh, and support them. However, however we can, and uh, you've put a couple of of great resources in here uh, to support mm-hmm. them. Can you you want to talk about those? Sure. Well, there is a community group called the AAPI Equity Alliance, and they are organizing support for victims. They can also, I think they're starting to do volunteer as well. So they have helped to set up a GoFundMe site that we can put in our show notes that is going 100% to victims' families, uh, the 11 people that were killed in the shooting. And so I think this group is hosting this particular drive, which makes sense because they're also helping support the community in other ways with resources around grief counseling and other kinds of uh, emotional support as well. Yeah. So check them out. Give to the GoFundMe. To note, the group is called AAPI, AAPI Equity Alliance. So in addition to the GoFundMe, which is money that's going directly to the families, giving to this group would just support you know, the organization that is actually providing that um, resource and, and support for the community. Great. Okay. So 
that is what we can do. That is also your to-do list for this week uh, is to support um, the AAPI Equity Alliance and, uh, and this GoFundMe page. These, these families are going to need a lot of support and, uh, and they uh, likely don't have uh, the resources that a lot of our listeners do. So please do, uh, do support that. And, uh, I mean, we can briefly talk about uh, we just passed what would have been the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And, uh, and you and I were talking about this right before we started recording because it, it's uh, something that we wanted to make a big issue out of, uh, of course, and highlight that it should have been the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And uh, this captured Supreme Court led by uh, these Republicans have uh, taken upon themselves to uh, take away women's rights to uh, make their own health care decisions. And uh, I think a lot of the actions around that were overshadowed by these shootings. And, and you know, that's probably appropriate that happens, you know, um, but um, it's important as we move through the week to uh, to keep highlighting that Roe v. Wade should be the law of the land and that um, Democrats will make it law of the land. They will um, they will codify it into law uh, if and when we get the House back and get back into power in 2024. Yeah, I mean, we can see that the Biden administration is absolutely making it a priority, talking about it, the executive orders that they have signed, there's more that they probably will do to try to expand access, which they can under the current laws. But it is really devastating to realize that we didn't make it to that landmark anniversary to be able to celebrate the rights of women in every state and every country to make the decisions about her own body with her family, her doctor, whomever, not her local politician. And yet it's, it's good. It's like, it's good to continue to bring to the forefront this issue because it is such a mobilizing issue for all the people that we need to eventually get that result you're talking about with Democrats yeah. being in charge. We, we They passed it in Congress last season when we had a Democratic Congress, and of course it couldn't move through the Senate. Now we have a Senate it could move through, but we don't have a Congress that it can land in. And so we got two more years to... Keep pushing, but that's why it's important to keep it to um, keep it at the forefront. It's not going away, and women are, and families and people are suffering every day because of this mm-hmm. lack of protection. It's not going away, and neither are we. Uh, we we yeah. got to keep at it. Um, and uh, and this is something that I actually saw in the news uh, from the last couple of weeks. Sort not not really related, but sort of related. The government of Scotland. Voted the the Scottish Parliament voted to make all uh, period related products free for all citizens, which is great. amazing and really great. And um, you know when here women are are you know having to pay a pink tax on their um, essential items uh, in Scotland, they've made them free. So come on, we can we can be like Scotland. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the point just to underscore around this idea of we can't just forget about abortion until it's two weeks before the election and we're trying to rally people up. It was at this conference that I went to last week that we talked about in D.C. There was a panel uh, featuring Rebecca Traster, an amazing journalist, Mm. and a couple of pollsters and um, the woman who's running Emily's List. And they were talking about how uh, a not Schenker, our friend, was actually moderating and okay. they and talked about how um, in was she snarky? Was she being snarky as a moderator? <laughs> she was she was excellent. The whole <laughs> session was amazing. Yeah. Um, she was talking about how um, in the 2018 election, when you look at the data around how much did candidates, Democratic candidates talk about the issue of abortion, it was like two percent of all advertising. Uh, and then in 2018 and in 2020, and then in 2022, it was a much larger portion, right? It was like 45 or 50%. Yeah. So it's just interesting. Like before this issue became what it is right now because of the Supreme Court, we weren't talking about it. But it was about, you know, Roe v. Wade was about to be overturned. So it's just a, a reminder again of why it's important to keep it at the forefront. It's It's a really... It's an issue that not only affects so many people, but it just affects who we are in terms of our freedoms and what we're, how we're able to live. And so it's a great example. Yeah, that's really important. And uh, I'm sorry I missed that conference. I wasn't in D.C., but uh, it sounds really cool. And, you know, the Republicans are helping us with this, too. One of the first things that they did in Congress was uh, – uh, I think we talked about this last week, was introduce um, <laughs> some yeah. more anti-abortion laws, which the, even their own caucus was like, have you s- seen what just happened in the election? Have you looked at the yeah. polling of what's important to people? But anyway, so they're helping out. Um, yeah. Thanks, Republicans. Let's uh, – we're bringing back our hero of the week today You know, um, for this week. Let's talk about our hero of the week. Our hero of the week is Brandon Say, the 26-year-old grandson of the dance hall owner in Alhambra, where the Monterey Park shooter went. And um, I'm sure everyone has seen this incredible video of him wrestling this gun away from this man. Uh, For about a minute and a half, they were in a struggle. And um, and in, in the interview... He did. Uh, he really thought he was going to die. He came in with uh, with this gun and and thought that was it. But he was able to wrestle that gun away and 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 get him out of there. And uh, you know, impossible to say how many lives he saved. But um, that's the epitome of a hero. Uh, just a remarkable young man who just acted on instinct and and saved a bunch of lives. And. Um, you know the trauma that 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 he uh, has to deal with, and and the other people who are there in Alhambra too, um, is unthinkable. But I'm so grateful, Brandon. Say you are definitely all of our hero of the week. That's um, awesome. All right, we already talked about our to do list. We're going to have the link to the uh, AAPI Equity Alliance. Uh, dot org, and also the GoFundMe for the Monterey Park uh, shooting victims. Um, so those will be in our show notes. Uh, please donate what you can to that. Uh, let's talk about our reasons for hope. Jennifer, what is bringing you hope on a, on a tough week? Yeah. 
well, in addition to Brandon Say, who definitely gives me hope as well, uh, there was a story this week about a professor out of Florida named Marvin Dunn, who has been teaching black history, African-American history for many years. And as everyone knows, DeSantis made a big deal about pa passing this anti-woke legislation to mm -hmm. ban the teaching of African-American history. And this professor, um, I think he said, I've been teaching history before DeSantis was born. Uh -huh. um, so just really taking up his moral <laughs> authority. And he, what he's doing is this teach the truth tour. So he's in total defiance of this idea that we can't teach our accurate history. He's taking groups of high school students around to some of the sites in Florida of some of the worst kinds of racial violence in Florida's history. And the students, you know, would have never heard about that. They're not allowed to learn about it in the schools. He was even saying the book he's written, which is would be a great book for high school students to read, can't, they can't. It's, it would be illegal in Florida. So wow. it just gives me hope when people like that who are so knowledgeable and skilled are just taking it into their own hands and doing this work to really bring the next generation into this fight not listening to the likes of DeSantis and I think just making a mockery of DeSantis in general and what he's trying to do. That that always gives me hope. I love making a mockery of DeSantis um, <laughs> because he is an evil, despicable uh, human being, um, but, you know, yeah. fun to make fun of, too. And uh, sounds like we have another hero of the week there, too, with Marvin Dunn. The, yeah. Um, God, it's just uh, the the policy that DeSantis is pushing in Florida is so hateful and so just yeah. openly racist. It's just uh, um, it's, it's where we are now. It's it's the path that has been laid by Trump and the MAGA extremists, and um, uh, he wants to carry that uh, that tiki torch on forward, um, and we're not going to let him. Uh, all right. How about you? What's your reason for hope? <laughs> My reason for hope is uh, is less racism uh, related and more water related. <laughs> um, <laughs> so after uh, three years of drought, California may actually reverse it in 2023 due to this historic level of snow. Now, we've all been experiencing some really, really devastating storms and feeling the damage that those storms have brought. Um, but yeah. that also means we've had um, historic snowfalls in the Sierra Nevadas, and um, the state performed its first formal snow sur survey up there. Currently, it's at 174% of its historical average for this time of year. So that large snowpack is the yeah. biggest in 40 years, and uh, that could mean some real relief for the drought. Um, it's amazing. Unfortunately, uh, in terms of the storm and and the runoff from the storm waters, our uh, our state really isn't set up to collect that storm runoff. It's all everything is set for that just to go right into the ocean. We're only right. able to uh, collect about twenty percent of that runoff, and we still rely very heavily on the Colorado River mm -hmm. and other sources. But um, but this snowpack will will be very helpful and and provide some relief from this drought and that's great great news 
Yeah, I got to tell you, I saw this on the plane. So I was flying home from DC oh, to cool. San Francisco. And I, you know, it was all my lucky day. So I had a whole row to myself. Mm. And so um, I was sitting on the aisle seat. And then I saw in the window, I was like, what is that? I had never seen snow like that. It almost looked like a white sand or something. And so then I went to the window and I looked at the map and we were over the Sierras. And it was just it blanketed with white as far as you could see from 30,000 feet. It was incredible. I've never seen anything like that in the flight. So, you know, usually you see the caps on the mountains or, you yeah. know, you see a little bit, but it was incredible. So to did you see take it from a, Did you take view. a picture? I did. Oh, okay. I, did. I well, took several pictures. I send me, send me a picture. I want to, I want to see it. Maybe, <laughs> cool. or, or put it up on Twitter. Put it on it's Twitter. On my, so I think it's on my Instagram. Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, I can put it on Twitter. That's a good idea. We'll share her picture <laughs> I'll connect on it Twitter. to the drought story. <laughs> <Make it laughs> there, we, there we go. Very topical. Um, all right. <laughs> well, uh, that's enough from us. I want everyone to hear from uh, Representative Tony Cardenas, who is my congressman and uh, uh, has been in Congress for a long time. And we had a great interview about a lot of things, um, especially what it's like to be in Congress at this particular point in time. So uh, stick around for that interview. Congressman Tony Cardenas was first elected to the United States House of Representatives in 2013 and has represented California's 29th district since. I'm proud to say he is my congressman. Representative Cardenas, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Glad to be here, and uh, thanks for inviting me. Of course. Well, to have my own congressman on the show, that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> it, a lot to talk about as this new Congress is off to a very inauspicious start, to say the least. But before we get into that, um, I'd love for our listeners to hear a little bit more about how you got your start. Um, you come from a really big working class family. You've dedicated your life to serving your community. What was the first office that you ran for? Uh, why did you decide to run? And what was that first campaign like? Um, I ran for office for the state assembly in 1996. I was inspired or cajoled and uh, harassed uh, in a good way uh, by a Chicano activist, a Latino friend of mine who's about 10 years older than me. He was involved in the Chicano walkouts of the 1960s when he was in high school. And uh, he met me when his wife and I were on the board of a not-for-profit in Pacoima. I grew up in Pacoima here in the Valley. And uh, a few years later, he calls me back and says, hey, can we talk? And uh, he said, hey, you need to run for office. I laughed. And I was like, no way. Uh, people like me don't run for office. I'm not a politician. Get away from me. But uh, six months later, he never let go. And I finally went home to my, my wife, Norma, who also grew up in Pacoima. And I said, hey, Norma, James is, you know, really onto this thing and he won't leave me alone. And I told her the reasons why he felt I should run. And she goes, yeah, go ahead. And so we didn't know what we were getting into. So I went ahead and, and let him know I'm ready to go. But previously, I had, I had met a young man from Pacoima who's 10 years younger than me. His name is Alex Padilla. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had met Alex when this guy was trying to convince me to run. I said, hey, they're trying to tell me to run for office. If I run, will you run my campaign? And Alex uh, stood up and he said, I'll do it. Just let me know when if you decide to do this. So I called him and I said, I'm going to run. And uh, will you run my campaign? His exact words were, I said I would, didn't I? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, let's do this. And so uh, I ran to be the first person from Bacoima to represent us at any level of government. 
and this was the state legislature. And uh, even though the LA Times wrote an article saying that uh, I was going to come in third place and I didn't have a shot, uh, we won. Uh, the combined votes of Valerie Salkin, who later on became my friend, and Jim D'Antona, whose son I eventually hired, and, and Jim D'Antona Jr. eventually became my chief of staff mm-hmm. when I was on the city council. Um, they, they were my main opponents, and combined, the amount of votes that I got were slightly more than their votes combined. And uh, they outspent us, but they did not work us. And I was the only one born and raised in the community who was actually running at that time. And uh, we started a trend and, uh, you know, helped other people get elected. And, and you're, you, you know, like everybody else, our United States senator is Alex Padilla. So that was my first office. And it was, uh, it was something that I thought I would do temporarily, maybe do it for a few years and pass it on to somebody else. Well, I did pass it on to other people, but uh, continued to get elevated into other offices. And now I'm the congressman. And I've been doing this for 26 years representing the community I grew up in. It's amazing. Um, you're, uh, you and Senator Padilla are roommates in D.C., is that correct? Yes, we are. <laughs> I just got off the phone with him as we're hoping to move from one unit to another. A little bit more space. Oh, okay. Yeah. A little, a little space can be good, <laughs> even if you're tight, long-time old friends. It's, it's good yeah, to have buddies. your own space. No, just a side note. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Norma, for uh, over 30 years now. And, um, you know, I create this relationship with Alex. She loves Alex. And then one day she says, I got the perfect person for Alex. So she mm-hmm. said, I'm going to play Cupid. And I said, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. I was against it. Well, anyway, he introduced uh, Alex to Angela. They've been married now 10 years. Um, they have three beautiful boys that they're raising. And uh, yes, in, in one in one action, my wife uh, uh, surpasses me in my relationship with Alex. <laughs> so, well, uh, but, he, but we're tight. He, owes, he owes the two of you a lot. So I, I hope you remind there him you of go. that all the time. Yes. Yeah, he owes <laughs> both of us. There you go. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about uh, Washington, where mercifully you are back home. You're not there right now. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. We're coming off of the most consequential Congress in my lifetime and the end of an era for the greatest speaker in our history. And now yeah. we've got this uh, MAGA Republican-controlled Congress. I mean, we know that they'll get nothing done and they're more interested in distraction and destruction by way of threatening to slash social security, holding the debt ceiling hostage and launching bogus investigations that are actually conducted by election denying conspiracy theorists. So I guess my question is, how are things at work? <laughs> well, you you painted a pretty accurate picture about what's going on in Washington in the House of Representatives. And uh, yes, I'll continue to do my work. Um, I think it's it's a responsibility of all of us uh, to face the difficult times and the difficulties and to overcome them by just doing the best job that we can. Um, it's, it is difficult. It was painful being part of a Congress that for the first time in 100 years, uh, we didn't have a speaker get voted in to the speakership in the first vote. And it literally took uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, to the early hours of the morning of Saturday that, uh, uh, you know, McCarthy actually was able to pull together the votes to get elected. Matter of fact, he didn't even pull together the votes. It was five members of his caucus uh, who actually decided not to even vote for him, which lowered the threshold uh, requirement. And then 
he was able to become the speaker. Don't and, test uh, me, but I but I think at this point I have uh, all the members' names memorized from A to hmm. Z. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let let me tell you. Unfortunately, uh, I believe that that it's a tale of 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 the next two years in the House of Representatives where we're going to see them try to hurt and dismantle and destroy um, the infrastructure of this country that is actually helping the people who need our government to be for uh, be there for them the most. Social Security, our, our seniors who earned the right to be on Social Security, they paid into that system. Yeah. Veterans who actually, uh, you know, uh, almost gave their life uh, for our freedoms. Uh, we should be providing everything that we can for them. And Republicans are attacking uh, the, the, the Veterans uh, Administration, et cetera. Um, our postal service, they want to just get rid, rid of it and privatize it. They want to do things that will not improve the lives of American people. And uh, so those of us who are there are going to have a front row seat of trying to defend against that. Yeah. And now a 30 percent you know, federal sales tax, essentially, <laughs> that, uh, and get, get rid of income tax uh, for the rich and, and make uh, working people pay more. Uh, that's, that's oh, absolutely. They've done it already under Donald Trump. Uh, in 2017, they controlled the House, the Senate and the presidency, and they passed the biggest tax cut for the richest people in the world. Yeah. Um, so having said all that, uh, how can we as activists push back on the noise the Republicans are making? Because certainly a lot of it is to distract and obfuscate. There's going to be um, a lot of relief coming to families uh, from all the legislation that you all passed in the last Congress and that Biden implemented. Um, and, uh, and the Republicans are going to do everything they can to distract from that and then take credit for it, even though they actively tried to block it. So what can we as volunteers and activists do to help support the work Democrats have done and are continuing to do? Uh, first of all, uh, applaud and recognize when those billions of dollars will come to Los Angeles. Billions of dollars will come to all parts of this country, uh, communities small and large, uh, to build build back bridges, to uh, give Internet access to as many households in America uh, than ever before. Those are the kinds of things that hopefully people will recognize and applaud as they start rolling out right now as we speak and into the future. Um, that's what we did in the last Congress. I'm very proud to say that we were able to, and, and the record shows it, it was the most prolifically successful Congress to actually build America once again with infrastructure legislation that we passed, to give access to as many families and households as possible, uh, to be able to have access to internet and to be able to visit with their doctor even though they can't physically go to their doctor's office. See, these are the kinds of things that Republicans don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about the fact that if you live in rural America and we bring access to people's households who are on low income, uh, white families in rural America, that those same constituents that vote for them every time and they have a right to do so, they're going to benefit from it. Yeah. And because here in Los Angeles, I was just at a hospital yesterday, right here in the San Fernando Valley. You can go three, four miles in any direction and arrive at an emergency room. If you're in rural America, you have to drive sometimes 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 miles to actually get in front of a doctor and say, please help me. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? So, yeah. you know, having access to the Internet is literally life saving. It's life saving. And uh, to be able to meet with your doctor and to be able to show him, you know, I got this lesion on my cheek or what have you. 
and the doctor to be able to give you a diagnosis or at least quell your fears that maybe you 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 have fourth stage cancer or what have you. See, these are the kinds of things that Republicans don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about progress like what we created in the last Congress helps everyone. Yeah. From the economy to our seniors to school children to Meals on Wheels, etc. These are the kinds of things that helps our farmers are going to do better after what we did last year uh, than they have in the past because they're suffering as well. Look at the weather changes right now. Yeah. Whether it's floods or droughts or what have you, farmers need the federal government to be there for them so they can hang on and then they can actually keep their business going so they can grow the food that all of us enjoy. See, these are the kinds of things that we focused on in the Congress that I'm so proud to have been a member of. Yeah. So we really need to use like, you know, we talk about on this show all the time, everyone has a platform and some are larger than others, but you can talk to your family and your neighbors and and let people know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. about all the things that you just mentioned. And uh, and that's that's our task. Uh, and especially if you have a larger platform to get that out. And, and Steve, one of the things that, that, that um, I was talking about, hopefully people recognize that progress and applaud it. But at the same time, the one thing that every American can do that we have the honor and the privilege of having is the right to vote. If every American voted, we would have better representation. We would have representation that is listening to everyone. And right now, we have election cycles where only 10, 15 percent of the eligible voters actually come out and vote. But if we had 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 percent of the people voting, trust me, I don't care if you're far right or far left, you are going to listen to as many people as possible so that you can understand the pulse of the people that you need for them to actually support the good work that you're going to try to do. So voting is the number one thing that I remind everybody, please get out there and vote. Absolutely. Preach into the choir there. That's This is our, the whole reason we have the show is to get people more involved and, and, and you know, like civics is is part of our life. It should be a part of our identity and what we do. Uh, you, you, I was just reminded when you were talking about voting, I, I had a brief conversation with my friend Brian, your district director, right, uh, right before this, uh, talking about the rules changes in Congress and eliminating proxy voting. During a uh, pan during a pandemic right now, I mean that yes. like structurally that's just dangerous. You know, it forces sick people yes. to come vote. How is that going to work? Yes. Well, it's going to work very badly. Um, yeah. Last week, I was in Washington, and I saw one of my colleagues. She was wearing a mask, uh, a K ninety five mask, a proper, uh, very effective mask. And I said, "Oh, um, I, I I was looking for you. I wanted to tell you something." So I was explaining something to her, and then she says. I appreciate it, Tony, but you don't want to get too close because I have COVID. Hmm. So I, I, I stood back and I continued to talk to her a little bit. I respect the fact that she was sitting literally by herself when I saw her. Uh, she remained by herself as much as possible. But this is what she was forced to do. She was forced to come to work even though she had COVID, which is inappropriate for us to make anybody do when they are uh, ill. Yeah. Right. But secondly, forces her to potentially compromise the health of others because she has not been afforded what we did during COVID. The Democrats, when we were in charge in the House of Representatives, we said, you know what? You have the right to proxy vote. It's a it's sophisticated process or what have you. And nobody's ever been uh, accused so far about misvoting or what have you or right. mishandling the process. 
But the bottom line is that gave people, all of us, and I got COVID twice already, yeah. right? Since, since COVID's been with us. And the bottom line is I had the right to proxy. I had the opportunity to proxy, which kept me safe, my family safe, and everybody around me safe. But now the Republicans have done away with it. And that's a perfect example. My heart, my heart went out to my colleague. I was thinking to myself, she shouldn't have to be here. Yeah. But she's going to do her job, even though they're making it much more difficult for her to do her job. And this is the one thing I want people to remember. She has COVID. If somebody else gets COVID inadvertently because she was forced to pass over as close as she can to the door and vote and then step back away or what have you, if somebody else gets COVID, that person, that other person could take COVID to their 80-year-old grandmother, right? Yeah, yeah of Who course. actually is, is, is a cancer survivor, who is susceptible that if that person gets COVID, she could die. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. That is that is the callousness and that is the, the narrow thinking of my colleagues who have now changed the rules in the House of Representatives who say, you know what, because it makes good politics for them. They're saying, no, we're forcing everybody to come no matter what. Well, it's that's just, you know, callous is, I guess, a, a generous term to use to describe it. Um but uh, it's a good segue into talking about the next election because it's obvious how important it is to take back the House. Um, and I just want to ask you a question, and we talked a little bit about it when we had a, an event over at my house. Um, but there's a lot of talk over the last election of waning support from Latino voters. This narrative, which of course was highly amplified by the media, wasn't exactly true. And it, it greatly overstates the, uh, or, or oversimplifies rather, the incredible diversity within Latino communities. Um, you are the first uh, Latino to represent the San Fernando Valley in Congress. How do you see Latino supports for Democrats? Like, what's the what's the real story there? And what should we be doing well, now to continue to lift up those voters? Well, first of all, I want to point out what you you and I have had this dialogue before. No community is monolithic. Right. The Latino voters are not monolithic. Black voters are not monolithic. White voters are not monolithic. You know, um, Middle-income family voters are not monolithic. So the bottom line is, when when people have been speaking as though the Latino vote is moving in a as a block, uh, voting more and more for Republicans across the country, what have you, there are pockets in America where Republicans have been able to make inroads with Latino voters. It's an incredibly eclectic and sophisticated uh, Latino vote in 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 uh, Southern South Florida, right. where you have people from who, uh, you know, became naturalized citizens from Cuba and they, they've been naturalized citizens from Venezuela in different parts of the world and who congregate there and who make a big numbers of the electorate there. Um, so there is a completely different uh, dynamic than the diaspora of Latino votes here in Los Angeles or Orange County, for example. And let me tell you this. The Republicans have not made inroads in Orange County or L.A. County with Latino voters anywhere near as much as they have in South Texas and pockets of South Texas or in, in, in small pockets of, of South Florida. Um, now, how does the Latino voter vote? The Latino voter votes just like any other voter. They listen. They read they dialogue, they 
think about who they're going to vote for, and then they decide to vote. Latinos overwhelmingly have been voting for Democrats uh, for generations now in America because Latinos tend to be focused on, I want a government that helps people who needs help. Yeah. And I want a government that if somebody is, is on the down and out, they're going to be there for them so they can be lifted back up and then get back on their feet. That is how most Latino voters vote. Latino voters, the vast majority of Latino voters are very spiritual and, and they have a religious faith or what have you. And Republicans make a, 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 a very broad assumption of that Latino voters are going to be one issue voters when it comes to a woman's right to choose. Right. And that's not necessarily the case. You may find a Latino household in Los Angeles that at the dinner table, they're not going to talk about that. But they have an opinion about it. And when they go to the polls, that is one of the many things that they think about when they choose who to vote for. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to individual rights, by and large, Latino voters are very, very cognizant of a government that takes away people's rights. And Donald Trump was a perfect example of somebody who became president of the United States and did everything that he could to try to engineer a country where people's rights were not equally respected. And I think that just like in California with Prop 187 and Donald Trump more recently, a lot of not only Latino voters, but naturalized citizen immigrant households and voters realize that when they're making derogatory comments about immigrants, they're talking about those voters as well. Right. And I think that the Republicans were not anywhere near as successful as they thought they were going to be or could be when it comes to the Latino vote across the country. And as a result, that red wave that was bragged about and talked about and trumpeted for months and months and months in the 2022 election cycle that we just uh, got past. Yeah. It did not happen. Yep. That that red wave was a trickle. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, okay. So one last question and, uh, it's late and you're with your family. So I want to let you go, but, um, we have one question that we ask all of our guests and that's what gives you hope right now for the future. Oh my, uh, what gives me hope is when I look at my two grandchildren, who well, I'm so blessed they live right here in the San Fernando Valley. When I look at them and I see them laugh and play and I talk to them about school and they get to go to school and they get to play with their friends and they can be so um, just joyful. That gives me hope because what happens far too often on platforms that many of my Republican colleagues love to be a part of is they speak so negatively and so drastically about woe is me and I'm a victim or what have you mm. and things of that nature. And in the United States of America, we support people who need help and we do not gain anything by spewing out the idea that victimization is some kind of platform for people to ride on or to get voted into office on and that's what when you listen closely to the republican messages on the national level and sometimes at the local level or what have you what you hear is you hear this negativity that if you listen to them long enough, 
Well, I, I would get depressed. Yeah. But I, I, I hear what they're saying, but I don't immerse myself in that. I try to look for truth. I like to look for positivity. And I like to look around me and see that we have an economy today where more people are employed than ever before. We have a healthcare system that needs tremendous improvements, but to the tune of tens and tens and tens of millions of people have access to a doctor today that they didn't have 10 years ago. And these are the kinds of things that we've done at the federal level to make sure that people are cared for in an honest and good way and that there's equity and the people are treated equally. And these are the kinds of things that I believe that we are advancing in the United States Congress. So I, I, I have tremendous hope. And the system is not broken. There are individuals who are trying their best to, to break the system or, or, or spew out lies that the system is broken, and it is not broken. We have a lot of amazing, beautiful people who are our representatives. And more importantly, we have millions upon millions of Americans who still believe in our great country and believe in our democracy, who thank God go to the polls every chance they get, and they vote for good people. And as a result, we have uh, a Senate that is controlled by the Democrats. We have a House of Representatives that just shy of a few votes is only controlled by Republicans. Just shy of just a few a uh, convictions, maybe, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and we have a president of the United States who has a tremendous, tremendous heart and is yeah. an amazing, amazing human being and is doing a very heartfelt job of being a very, very good president for the people of our country and actually is restoring the image of our country around the world. Well, uh, thank you. I'm I'm very grateful that uh, I get to call you my congressman, and uh, it's been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit and and have this conversation. I'm so grateful for your work. So thank you for everything you do, and and thank you so much for being on How We Win. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for reaching out to me, and I look forward to having more uh, dialogue and conversations with you and your neighbors and your friends. Thank you so much. so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We would love to hear from you. Please send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at howwewinpod, at bluesboysteve, and at Jen Ancona. Follow her there and you can see all of her snow mountain pictures. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. And please share our show with your friends and family. There's always work to do, so we will be back with some more next Wednesday. <laughs>